Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So happy Eclipse Day, everybody. Good evening to you all. Good evening. I hope you guys all had an excellent totality and uh, a most an enjoyable Eclipse Day. Again, the phone lines are open, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or live at asknoahshow.com. Send me your tech questions and we will talk about them right here on the air. I had an excellent, albeit unexpected, Eclipse Day. I, uh, you know, the thing is that the XKCD comic that somebody linked in the Ask Noah chat today, it, uh, it kind of sums up my view on, uh, on the whole Eclipse thing, like, there's a lot of people that are running around and they're like, oh, it's such a great science. Science, it's so great. It's like it's a thing in front of another thing. And it's really cool because it's something that doesn't happen very often. And so you want to take advantage of looking at the thing in front of the other thing. But at the end of the day, it's, it's there's just nothing that incredible about it. Although I often find myself wondering what people thousands of years must have thought, you know, as they're sitting out in front of their fields and doing this, that or the other. And uh you know, all of a sudden you just look up and in the middle of the day, high noon, all of a sudden, here's this thing in front of a thing. And so it's, it's blotting out the sun. And then the next day everyone wakes up blind because they Donald Trump the sun. Like it's just, it's kind of funny. Like you, you just kind of look at it and you're like, what, what, what went through their minds? I, that is, is something that boggles the mind, something that I've been thinking about most of the day. But happy Eclipse Day. I hope you guys have, have had a great day and uh, and had a chance to view it. My understanding is that the next one that will be visible here in the United States will be down in Tejas in seven years from now. I didn't know this, but you can actually view an eclipse anywhere in the world every 18 months. So or I shouldn't say anywhere in the world, somewhere in the world, I should say. You can view an eclipse somewhere in the world every 18 months. So if, you, if you're willing to travel... Um, then, uh, then you can pretty much view an eclipse almost anytime you want. Uh, you just might have to uh, take a vacation to get there. Now, some of the changes to my show have been eclipsed by the eclipse and the subsequent plans I have made because of the eclipse. But uh, starting this week, we are going to redo the show format just a little bit, make some little tweaks. And of course, we will course adjust as we go on. We're going to set aside some time towards the bottom of the hour to answer some written questions, questions that come in at live at asknoahshow.com, questions that come in at twitter.com uh, on the uh, Ask Noah page, the at Ask Noah, facebook.com slash asknoahshow, or uh, any of our contact links on uh, asknoahshow.com, the Ask Noah dashboard, asknoahjupiterbroadcasting.com, the email to send in emails anytime we're not on the air. Phone calls will always go to the front of the line like they have been, um, but this week in particular, we are going to burn through a couple questions at the bottom of the hour. In fact, there's really only two stories that I, I really feel strongly that we have to, uh, that we have to get to. Um, do, 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 do. So uh, let's just jump right into it. I do want to get some of the people that are holding on the, uh, on the phones here. We will start with Jimmy down in Texas. Hi, Jimmy. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how are you? Happy Eclipse Day. Happy Eclipse Day. How are you doing, sir? How was the eclipse viewing down from Tejas? Uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a full eclipse, so um, I got out the welding goggles and uh, stared at the sun and burnt my eyeballs. It was great. Yeah, they actually ran out of glass here in Grand Forks. They, so they, the, there's, there's, there's two kinds of glass that you can use. I'm not a welder, but I, I understand that there's two types of glass, and, and, and the kind that actually blocks the eclipse, they ran out of at the storm. And, uh, and so they have the, this new kind of glass that you can, you can take two different kinds of glass, you can put them together. And that's actually what my father-in-law did on our way down to, uh, he went down to Nebraska actually to view it. So that's kind of cool. How can we help today? Yeah. So actually I was uh, calling just as a, um, a follow-up based on um, a couple shows ago when you talked about uh, switch away, switching away from stock Android and uh, over to Lineage OS or any other custom ROM. 
and uh, wanted to give you maybe my uh, my perspective and my experience from doing so, having a Google Nexus 5X. Yes. And I just wanted to talk about my experience and maybe uh, share that with others who are considering doing it themselves and in hopes that it might help somebody. Great. And uh, um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to... Um, echo what you had said about it being much faster than the stock Android. When I first got my 5X, um, I was surprised at how much faster it was than my um, Samsung mm-hmm. that was running, running a TouchWiz. And uh, so I was really excited about that. But over time, my phone kept getting slower and slower and slower. And also I was getting more and more upset with Google and some of the things that they're doing. So your, um, your broadcast really kind of pushed me over the edge. And I thought, you know what, I just need to do it. So I did. And uh, I am very much happy about what I've done. Um, I am experiencing much better battery life. Uh, I like the fact that it was really easy to do. And if need be, it's really easy to undo. I really like the Yelp store. Um, it's, I, I really never used it before, but it is awesome. And uh, um, it's easy to customize Lineage OS if anyone's interested in that. It's really easy to do what you want. It gives you a lot of really granular control, too, in terms of security. And one of the things that I discovered was that um, that the apps that you use on a daily basis really require a lot of information that isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't learn that really, uh, at least uh, at a fundamental level, until I switched to Lineage. When right. I kept getting these pings from the OS saying, hey, this app is asking for this information repeatedly. I'm like, wow, okay. So that was really cool. However, in my, one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, one of the guys, Nunix, in the uh, uh, Telegram chat room, um, hashtag, or came up with a Zoogling, uh, Zero Google. Um, And uh, so one of the things I wanted to do in terms of Zoogling myself was just to get away from anything that had to do with Google and go completely open source if I could, or as close to it as I could. One of the problems I ran into, though, was is that I couldn't use any GPS apps. Um, All of them require the Play Store. Really? Okay. And I didn't know that. Yeah, I did not know that. And maybe you've had a different experience, but every app I tried, including the ones that were uh, so-called offline maps, mm-hmm. they wouldn't work. The GPS simply wouldn't work. So I, I looked at what their dependencies were, and sure enough, there was the Google Play Store was required. So I had to install a Play Store. That stunk. Okay. Uh, the next thing I ran into was... Uh, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, uh, so I, first of all, I just wanted to quantify one thing. I wanted to know what is your, could you quantify for me what the battery life was, difference between when you started and, and now with Lineage? Um, when I first started, it was probably around four and a half hours, which is, I guess, I felt was pretty typical. I mean, that's what it was on my Samsung. But when I switched to Lineage, I'm looking at eight and nine hours. And I use my phone a lot. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm a very heavy user. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say that doubling it, I, I might be able to get more out of it. But as for right now, in terms of the, the life that I'm getting out of my uh, phone now, it's much better. Gotcha. And I have not experienced um, the uh, navigation thing because I use my, uh, I, uh, first of all, I only use navigation if I'm out of town. I know where I'm going in, in town. And uh, even the, the brief times that I've gone out of town for like a service call or something, I have a, a dedicated navi uh, in my in my vehicle. So I actually hadn't even tried the navigation. That's a good that's a good thing to know for people to know. If you're going to do that, you, you're you going to be hosed without uh, Google Play services. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but continue on with your experience. No, you're okay. Um, and I was just going to add that um, for anyone who's... Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, are you a Firefox user on Android? I use both. I use I use Firefox for most things. I do end up using Chrome though because uh, for like Chromecast and stuff like that, um, you know, it's it, yeah. you know, it's pretty useful. That's exactly yeah. So I ran into the same thing. Uh, I was I've really been pleased with Firefox on um, on Linux desktop. It's it's been you know really good. Uh, Firefox on Android. Um, can't say the same thing. I had I did run the nightly, but it crashed a lot. So there was that. Uh, the fonts were another thing. Uh, not that I'm a huge, I'm not a snob when it comes to the looks, mm-hmm. but the fonts were pretty crummy looking mm-hmm. in the stock lineage without any Google stuff. Mm-hmm. So once I installed the Play Store, when I flashed that uh, Nano package, um, the, all the Google fonts were installed, and it looked, you know, the, you know, Google fonts are pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. Uh, the other thing I, I don't know about yet, and maybe someone else 
knows and can and chime in in the Telegram room is um, uh, potential integration with the other apps that might be dependent on Google. I, I don't know yet. I don't run a ton of apps mm-hmm. um, on my phone, uh, but but I do use my phone a lot. So anyway, that's that's kind of been my experience. And so I just wanted to kind of put the word out there for anyone who yeah. was wanting to make a switch that it's not a perfect solution, but it's really darn good. And, and I don't think you'll regret it if you do. Okay. Uh, I think that... Uh, no, that's awesome. The, the thing is, and I have uh, I have dealt with this too, where it's you sometimes uh, you don't notice some of these issues until you use them back to back, right? And like the fonts thing, you might not even if if you just started with uh, with a device with lineage, you might not even notice that until you switch back. And then the other thing is too is I don't always have the best eye for details. I'm definitely not the person that would catch something like fonts or I'll, I'll tell you here's the here's my biggest blunder, right? And everyone everyone that knows me kind of gives me a hard time about this. I never really thought there was anything wrong with the Adwata uh, default theme in GNOME. Like, once it gets tweaked, then all of a sudden I, I can tell the difference. I'm not stupid. I can look and go, oh, that looks better than that one. But, like, right out of the box, like, it wasn't something that I, I personally, uh, you know, jumped out at and said, oh, that's really offensive to me. So thank you very much, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Uh, you Are you going to stick with it? Oh, yeah, I'm sticking with it. Uh, even though apparently uh, Android 8 is about to drop for the 5X officially, I'm <laughs> still sticking with Lineage. I'm sure that... The OSP projects are going to start dropping 8.0 as well. Um, and I also hear that the uh, Ubuntu ports guys, Ubuntu Touch ports guys, are also working on a port for the Nexus 5X. And I might give that a shot. If you really want to totally de-Google yourself, that might be the best route to go for now. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot for calling in and giving us your take on the uh, on the Lineage OS pro- project. We really appreciate it. In fact, I took some slack for that inside of uh, one of our uh, Reddit threads, and I was just you know there's there's uh, some criticism, and, and basically my answer was you know what we were trying to get at in that episode is that there is no perfect operating system, and apparently Lineage OS even has some flaws that I didn't pick up on you know in the two days that I tried it you know a couple of weeks ago, but. You know, the, the reality is there is no perfect mobile operating system. And I think we're going to get to that in a little bit, you know, a possible answer to that. Um, but that that was kind of what I was trying to take away was there's, you know, it seems to be there, it happens on both sides. Some people are just convinced like Android's the way to go. And some people are convinced like Apple's the way to go. And, you know, whatever works for you is great. It's just understand that if you're on Apple, you are giving up fundamental features that have existed on Android for years. And if you're on Android, understand that you are buying a device made from one manufacturer and software made from another manufacturer. And there is going to be, you know, inherent flaws in that kind of model. Gabriel is calling from California. Hi, Gabriel. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi, Noah. How are you doing? Excellent. How can we help today? Uh, So I've been looking at setting up a media server, and uh, I just figured I would ask you about it. Um, so every every you know walkthrough that I've seen says to sh- set up a Samba share mm-hmm. uh, to go on like a you know per, in my case it would be a Raspberry Pi uh, that's just sitting downstairs. But as I was thinking about it, um, all the devices that are on my network are all Linux based. So I was wondering if uh, setting up a Samba share media server would actually be the way to go for me, or if there's some better uh, non Samba way to do this. Mm-hmm. Usually when I have the choice, I will do NFS. If I, if I, if I can make it work, uh, I find that I have a little bit better performance under NFS. Um, and I also find that weird problems don't plague me as much on NFS as they do with Samba. But the thing about Samba is every device under the sun can rewrite and access a Samba share and NFS takes a very specific client. Now my beloved Western digital TV lives, the devices that I, I, up and down, swear by, right and left, and everyone makes fun of me for it. I don't care. I'm taking them to my grave. They're going to bear me with one of those things. Those things support NFS. And so in my house, my media shares that go to all my TVs are all being done over NFS. And if you're doing it on Raspberry Pis, you'd probably have the same option, no? Cody supports NFS. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I would. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I would do. If you have the option, that's what I, I that's what I would do. I would do NFS over over Samba. But again, you, the, the the reason for having a Samba share. In fact, we have a Samba share. I just don't use it. The reason that we even have a Samba share is because it's such a universal share. Speaking of Samba shares, James is calling from Idaho. Hi, James. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey Noah, um, what's the best way to get a hold of you after the show? Well, uh, there's a couple different ways you can, um, you can, I think I sent you my personal email, uh, direct. If you check your email right before I got on the air, I think I sent you another email. My personal email is there and I actually have a filter set up for you. So I'll, uh, I'll grab your email. We can, uh, we can follow up after the show, but, uh, 
is in general, um, calling in is a great way to get a hold of us or live at asknoahshow.com. We're going to follow up with a couple of those emails here at the uh, at the bottom of the hour. Does that answer your question or did you want to go into your question on the air? Um, I'd also like to know, is that, did you ever get the email on me telling you how to clear up your EFI list? I'm sorry, say again? I sent you an email. I don't remember the exact name of the app for Linux to clean up your EFI. You something about when I was talking about on the, uh, the EFI you know, list and when your computers were, you know, dead EFI information. And there's a Linux program, I believe it's called the EFI Manager or Boot Manager or something. It's not in front of me on my screen. It's sure. on my notes somewhere. Sure. Um, and I didn't know if you got that. And if you ever need anybody to look up uh, everything, and I don't do well on tablets and phones, any mm-hmm. other hardware, I can pretty much look it up and get back to you or to them on how to get Linux on it and what bits in that particular hardware they're going to have issues with. Fantastic. Actually, you know, it's interesting, James. You know, I'm volunteering to let you forward my email to anybody that needs help on hardware and help them as best I can, if I can. Fantastic. You know, this is. I, I'm going to. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just going to take a moment. I'm just going to. I'm going to take a moment and brag on you, James. This is. This is the thing. This is the kind of stuff I love about the Linux community, right? James is calling in. He's got a. He's got a particular problem. It might be a little bit more than we can get into to here on the air, and James knows that. So he sent me an email. We're going to follow up. We're going to. We're going to. Take and, and figure all this stuff out, and then at the end of his call, James was offering then to help another viewer. As it, as it turns out, James, do you remember? Were you listening to the Ask Noah show last week? Yeah, someone calling. I didn't catch it all on a laptop, and it was running version twelve. Well, not flawless, fairly flawlessly in the base areas, but when you jump to sixteen, uh, and your solution is the right solution, but when the if the screen goes blankish or something, you can't see, and only you can hit this uh, power out button, you, know, you don't get a good re- uh, report. So I knew if you looked at that, you know, if I had that laptop and information, I could look it up and say, well, you might need to correct this uh, um, iOS firmware, might need to update it or something. Usually I can find yeah, sure. Well, I, I don't know about that call specifically. I'll, 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 I'll follow up and see if I think our solution actually, we had suggested that he go to a different uh, distro altogether. And I think that that worked for him. If it didn't, I'll, I'll follow up with you. But no, what I was referring to was there is a gentleman that has been that has put like 30 or 40 hours into trying to get a given Linux distribution to run on a custom built computer that he's building and he's having some issues. And he wrote in last week to ask some questions. And the thing is, um, this particular gentleman doesn't have access to a telephone. And so I'm not able to help him over the air and so we're trying to coordinate you know various other ways but i think that would be a great way that um you could pitch in as a community member and help him solve something and i'll make sure to get you guys squared away and actually you know what james as a thank you for your help what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna open up a ticket for you through our company altaspeed.com we provide commercial it support at a phenomenal rate uh, to customers in the continental united states but what i'm going to do for you james i'm going to open up a ticket we're going to do that complimentary for you and i'm going to assign a technician to help you uh, free of cost we're going to ask no show is going to pick up the cost for that and uh, we'll we'll put him on you and uh, he will work with you until we get your problem solved and that's a thank you for being willing to help out other people in the ask noah group and again if you want to join our community telegram.asknoahshow.com we'd be happy to have you all right, let's jump into this. I uh, I want just there's just a couple stories I just want to talk about briefly before we dive into some of the feedback that has come in. OMG Ubuntu headline: GPD Pocket, the seven-inch Ubuntu laptop, is now shipping. Ubuntu fans with small fingers and big pockets will be ple- big. Po- I didn't see that. I don't think that's fair. We'll get into that. I don't think the price is that bad. Ubuntu fans with small fingers and big pockets will be pleased to hear that the GPD Pocket Ubuntu edition has begun shipping. Demand for the Demand for the device has been huge. All in all, the GPD Pocket has raised $3,509,253 via Indiegogo, a staggering 1,516% of its original $200,000 goal. And that excludes the purchase made to a third-party resellers like Gearbest, who have been stocking the Windows version of the device for a little while. Measuring a mere 7.1 inch and well, that's what they're talking about, big pockets, because it's a seven inch device. (laughs) Measuring 7.1 inches and 4.2 inches, standing about a 0.7 inch tall, the GPD Pocket really is a pocket sized, a seven inch 1920 by 1200. 1920 by 1200. 
An IPS screen, a quad-core Intel Atom processor with 8 gigabytes of RAM means that it's no slouch either. I realize that this is author writing. I realize that I haven't written much about the device since the crowdfunding ended, and since I covered the GPD Pocket crowdfunding campaign a couple of times during its run, I figured at the very least a handful of you reading this would be interested about some real-world GPD Pocket Ubuntu edition. Well, I didn't need to go any further than Twitter to get a heads up on what's happening. The company tweeted an update last week. Very important good news. The Ubuntu version GPD Pocket will start shipping Friday. Thank you for your support. The Chichitex Indiegogo page was also updated with a message telling backers that the Ubuntu variant, the GPD Pocket, is now shipping. And we are here to ship the Ubuntu version GPD Pocket now, and we will keep tracking information. Much appreciated all of the great support and patience for us. Windows users haven't had to wait nearly as long with the GPD Pocket Windows Edition already out there in the hands of backers and buyers. Where it's being cooed at, admired, and naturally made to run all manner of Linux distributions, the delay in the shipping the Ubuntu version may have been worth it. As some backers of the Windows unit users as some backers of the Windows units report issues with a sensor that causes the device to wake up and sleep when the lid is closed. If you back the device on Indiegogo or order device from a third-party reseller, do keep an eye out for shipping details as it soon arrives. Please give us a poke and share your thoughts. Now, Joey writes in that article that he refuses to back funding campaigns that he writes about. Now, me personally, I'm done packing all technology altogether. By the way, our phone number is open 855-450-NOAA. That's 855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a talk about your tech questions. But um, Joey says that he doesn't back technology or that he doesn't back things that he writes about. I don't back technology at all. And the reason for that is, and I've talked about this briefly in the past, because the truth is 100% of the time I have tried crowdfunding something, something bad happens. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that perhaps I don't, I have unrealistic expectations of crowdfunding. Like, you know, I expect them to deliver on what they promise. I expect them to meet the deadlines they promise. Um, but when a company promises to deliver you something and then they don't, that's just to be expected, apparently. And some people are okay with that and more power to you. I'm glad because I don't know like devices like this GPD pocket would even exist if it weren't for some of you. Now, some people are okay with that model. And uh, I personally can't stand inevitable delays. And uh, the this whole idea of like, well, we thought we could do this, but it turns out we can't. That's just not for me. And so 100% of the time I've ever backed a project, I've gotten burned. And then I was disappointed. I'm looking at you coin people. But here's the thing. The GPD Pocket is probably the one device I should have backed. Because in fact, uh, it is everything they promised. The GPD Pocket, um, to the best of my knowledge, has no other real competition in this market. A lot of times when I back a technical product, like the coin, um, by the time it actually delivers, there is a better product already come to market that I could have bought at Best Buy six and a half months before I ever took delivery of my original innovative device, quote unquote, right? And in this case, to my knowledge, today, in 2017, there is no other pocket-sized computer with this level of build quality that is any more readily available than the GPD Pocket. So I really do think they are onto something revolutionary. Every review of the GPD Pocket I have seen from everyone that has it is outstanding. People are going nuts over the build quality. They are fanatic. They are they're just they're, they the, the fantastic design of the IPS display has even the skeptics are admitting, yeah, you know what? They have really done a good job here. They put a track point, which is the only usable pointing device that you could have on a device that small. Because the reality is, for those of you that had 560Es and 700Cs, the track point was a perfectly fine pointing device on a laptop. If it's not your cup of tea, so be it. But those of us that learned to use it and were happy with it, are very happy to see that you can take that same design, put it in a seven-inch uh, display, and have no problem whatsoever. I mean, that's that's really how 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 good th the the forethought is to this. And even the keys they say are usable, even if they are slightly smaller. I get to report to you today on the Ask Noah show that this device is shipping Ubuntu, this fantastic device. And if we take a trip down memory lane, those of you who are old enough, anyway. 
I was a big fan back in the day with, of my Toshiba Libretto 70 CT. And this was a pocket style, full functioning palm top that ran. I think, I think it shipped to 95 and I was able to upgrade it to 98 SE. And I used it for some time and I was very happy with it. I had a true dock. I had what was known as a port replicator, which was like a dock, except it just clipped onto the back. The GPD brings me back to those days. It brings me back to the days of the libretto. And uh, I'm one of those people that literally take my laptop everywhere with me. If you ever meet me in person, I have my laptop in one of three places. If I'm traveling, I usually have a full-on computer bag with uh, every charger I would need, hard drive, flash drive, every accessory known to man. If I'm at work in Grand Forks, I have my work backpack, which uh, you know has my AltaSpeed branding on it, has a built-in bottle opener, and has all my work tools. And if I'm just out and about with my kids or with my family, I have a shoulder sling that I picked up in at the... Actually, <laughs> I picked that shoulder sling up in Akihabara in, uh, you know, or outside of Tokyo, and uh, it's been fantastic. And that's where I carry my laptop and uh, a single USB-C charger with me. And I have it with me on my person 100% of the time. And uh, in the past, it's been kind of a pain to do that because even a 13-inch laptop, as light and thin as it is, it's still extra baggage. So the idea that I can take my laptop in my pocket is amazing. And believe you me, I'll be one of the first people to purchase one of these things as soon as they have fulfilled their backers and, and I can actually buy one. As mentioned, you know, a few weeks ago, I'm not a big fan of Android or iOS. And so to have a real functioning computer, which I trust the platform, is the most appealing piece of technology that I have personally seen in 10 years. That's not an exaggeration. I have not been this excited over a new innovative piece of technology as the GPD Pocket. Again, phone lines are open, 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Or email me at live at asknoahshow.com. Uh, let's see here. Texas. Is it uh, Alfred? Alfred, Texas? Uh, yes, it is. Hi, how are you? Good, good. How about you? Excellent. How can we help today? Uh, a question was about uh, how, how can I safely check what's in a, uh, in a flash drive that I found Ooh. without a... Uh, without getting my computer infected? That's a good question. Um, so I'll, I'll, first I'll tell you a fun story. Fun story. They've done uh, research, and what they found is that a flash drive or CD, uh, blank CD uh, laying outside of a parking lot has a 90% chance of being inserted into a, com into a corporate computer inside of the building uh, in which the parking lot in which it was found. That number goes up to 99% if they write payroll on the USB flash drive or the CD. It doesn't say wow. payroll, does it? Uh, no, it doesn't. Okay, good. Because that would be, I'll certainly be a scam. So here's the answer to your question. There is no safe way. Um, there is no safe way to do it because there are certain, there are ways to rig a USB drive up so that it will literally physically harm your computer. There's there's ways that you can wire like, do all sorts of weird things, start on fire, stuff like that. That's problem one. Problem two is, despite how much we tote Linux as being you know immune to viruses and malware, that's not entirely accurate. The, the, the truth is that anything that can access, I'm mean, going to quote Matt Hartley here, anything that can execute code can be used to exploit a machine. And Linux is not immune to that at all. So if, you know, all things being equal, there there are ways that it could infect a machine. So you, you wouldn't want to do it that way. And uh, so here's here's what I, if it were me, here's what I would do. Because curiosity, I don't know about you, but curiosity kills me more than anything else. I care more about my curiosity than I care about a single computer, right? I'd go take something like a Raspberry Pi, or if you go, you have a secondhand store, go pick up a computer for 10, 15 bucks, something like that. Throw a throw a live uh, distribution on it and plug the computer in or plug the flash drive in and see what happens. I, I, I that that was what I would do if I were in your shoes. The truth of the matter is, we actually have a machine that is dedicated towards uh, pulling reco recovering data off of customers' hardware, and so we expect bad things to happen because we expect customers to have you know bad things on their on their on their hard drives and stuff. And so we we, we take certain amount of steps to to prevent that. So for example. The it you know there's the system is configured you know to to it's not it's it's air gapped it's not on the network stuff like that we also have the the thing that the USB drive plugs into is an external uh you know USB drive 
thing that that comes out and it has some sort of switch thing so if too much current tries to go through it it burns out a little wire rather than actually taking out the computer all sorts of crazy things but the easiest way to do that is to to, to get a computer you don't care about or a secondhand computer does that answer your question uh, yes it does hey do me a favor when you find out what's on that drive call me back <laughs> I want to know. Now you've got us all roped in, and we all have to know. So uh, please let us know. Ed is calling from Connecticut. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. How can we help? A follow-up question. I called a couple weeks back a couple weeks back about the GUI crashing, and you gave me the good advice of uh, finding the process ID for the whatever's cra- uh, hanging and killing it. And in yes, sir. In most cases, it's you know, chromium or something like that. Mm-hmm. I had another issue. It, it happened again today when I was, like, actually trying to get onto the live stream to listen, and it locked up my computer 100%, and it wouldn't respond to any of the, um, you know, like, when you do, like, Control-Alt, F1, or the F keys to find a, a terminal mm-hmm. to, to get to the process ID. And I was just wondering if you had any advice on how to recover from something like that. You can't. It doesn't happen often. Yeah, you can't. It's the, the kernel is locking. And the, the I, I actually, I was talking... Uh, with us through somebody else a week ago or week or two weeks ago, try uh, toggling the caps locks key and see if the light uh, comes on and off on the caps lock because that that's a, that, that you can you can usually tell if the kernel is locked by if that if that light is if the light toggles on and off then your kernel isn't locked. Um, but my, my guess is your kernel is is panicked or locked up and there is no way to fix that. You have to restart the machine, uh, which sucks. I know, but um, th- you know and the thing is like ninety nine percent of the time. As Linux users, one of the one of the things that we're so proud of and so happy is we can almost always recover. It's not that bad things don't happen. It's that yeah. we can do something about the bad things when they happen. In that case, though, when your kernel dies, good luck. Uh, you just, there is nothing you can do, unfortunately. Okay, well, that's good to know about the caps lock. Hey, if you've got time, I've got another question for you. Too. Please. Okay, so um, I am looking for a scanner that is reliable on Linux and easy to use, and, and since you are you know, working with so many businesses, what have you seen out in the world that is reliable? HP. Okay. HP works every time. Um, we've also had really good luck with uh, Epson. Uh, tends to, but the thing with Epson is it requires a little bit of tinkering. HP is so next level amazing. They actually have, they send you to a site. It's like hpopensource.com or something like that. Uh, don't quote that URL. I don't think that's correct, but it's, it's something like that. And they and it, they have their own little utility, and you download this little utility, and you run, and it asks you, it says, pick the model number. You pick the model number. You click OK, and it installs something called the HP LIP uh, program, and basically it has all of like the tools for printing and ink monitoring and scanning and fax, all that stuff, and it works natively wow. flawlessly on Linux. Amazing. Okay, yeah. thanks a lot. No, I appreciate it. No problem. I'll just expand on that question just a little bit too. So one of the other things that uh, that we do in businesses a lot, and this is becoming really popular, uh, some of the newer H, actually even the older ones, even as I think the fifty thirty fives even supported this. That's a multifunction HP multifunction system. But basically, what we do in a in the large majority of businesses, um, most people think of when they say scanning, they think of plugging a scanner into their computer. And uh, and clicking a button and then it scans and then it spits a pops up on the computer with a little, you know, dialogue. Or if you're using like simple scan, it says, where do you want to scan it to? And you save the PNG uh, or TIFF or PDF or whatever. Uh, And that works, Um, but it doesn't scale. Uh, So uh, what I mean by scale is you have a law office and they have a stack of 500 documents and they need to scan that. Well, nobody is going to sit there page after page and scan, save. Page one, enter. Page two, enter. Page three, and it's not practical. Um, and so what we found that works really, really well is things like the HP 5035 and, and all the newer ones, uh, and not HP specific, most brands have this, is they have an option to save to a network drive. Going back to our first call, Samba being so universal, you can literally set up a Samba share and then tell the scanner, when you scan something, I want you to save to a network location. And that network location is a Samba share, and it has these permissions and this username, whatever. And just when somebody scans something, they have an option to give it a title. Or if they don't, it'll just call it, you know, Untitled 1. And so most businesses that we set up, they have a free NAS server. And we have this, what we call scan to network directory setup. And so there's just a scans folder inside of a, a shared network drive. 
and uh, anyone can access their shares just by going to it. The nice thing, other nice thing about that is it's really platform independent, right? You can go to uh, any computer, Windows, Mac, or Linux, and open up that share and look at those scans. In fact, I was at a clinic a couple of weeks ago, and um, we had just set this up. And uh, one of the physicians came up to me and he said, well, could you answer this question about X? And I said, okay. And one of the policies that they had implemented was every piece of mail that comes in gets put in the scanner and scanned. And then whoever scans it moves it to a, you know, a folder called scan mail or whatever. And I said, yeah, no problem. And so I, I literally turned around, walked to one of his kiosks, logged in, clicked on the button, opened that network share and said, oh, here, look at this. And here's this number and here's that number. And that's what you were asking about. He goes, huh. How, how in the world did you find that so fast? I said, well, you know, everything gets scanned. Everything's electronic. We're utilizing technology to move to the future. Welcome to 2017. This is where all your mail is accessible from every computer if you have the right username and password. And it made me look like a rock star. Um, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything that costs a lot of money. It's a feature that comes with the scanner. It's something that's incredibly easy to set up. It should take no more than five minutes. Um, and then you start, you'd stop having to organize all of your traditional mail and you can go to actually utilizing this technology, leveraging it to make your business more effective. So that's my, that's my long answer. That's what I would do if I was setting it up. Actually, I wouldn't use HPL. I mean, I would, I would install HPL IP because it's useful for the printer stuff. But as far as scanning, I would find, uh, I would purchase a scanner that can scan to a network drive because it's a, it's a really fantastic way to do it. And uh, another little quick tip, if you're scanning for just reference stuff, doesn't really matter what you do. But if I'm scanning documents that uh, we want to save for a long time, usually those will get saved in uh, PDF. If you're scanning a high-resolution picture of swords, usually that will get saved in TIFF. Uh, and then for anything else, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can use JPEG, whatever. But if it, uh, but that's that's kind of my go-to recommendation for businesses and and people when they're when they're scanning stuff. Kind of an aside. Uh, okay, DID rocks headline: Ubuntu GNOME shell in in Artful Day Five. Today is the day after upgrading and all the things migrating, our new Ubuntu dock should be installed by default and activated in the Ubuntu Artfall session. Note that, of course, this is part of the GNOME shell Ubuntu mode not enabled in GNOME vanilla session. But I'm looking like this by default, thanks to the changes in six packages. I guess the first question, this is the author asking, eh, canonical, I guess the first question is, why ship the dock by default? Their answer is, we want to ease our user base migration from the Unity experience to the GNOME shell. These have two angles that we will deliver a really different default environment, but we still need to balance that with a level of familiarity and comfort that people are used to for this, for this smooth transition. Our user survey clearly demonstrates that Ubuntu users value having a dock as part of their desktop shell. I agree. The extension is bringing back that feature to our desktop. Dash to dock seems to be one of the most popular dock extensions for the shell, and it's very well maintained. It seems logical to base on such a great work, and the Ubuntu desktop team is committed to do the required maintenance on the dock for our spinoff. We thus contacted some of the some weeks ago the upstream developer Michelle, uh, with whom we started to get a very great conversation. So the next question they asked is, why not just ship dash to dock rather than a light fork? It's because we like to make our life difficult and complicated. No, just kidding. More seriously, there are some reasons for that. The extension is installed by default on Ubuntu. That means that it needs to come from a package in main rather than from the Ubuntu archive. We thus need to package it first. If our extension kept the GNOME shell extension ID rather than dash, the same extension ID as dash to dock, it would mean that users could upgrade it as soon as the new release of dash to dock reached GNOME shell extensions website. This would buy, and this is important, so pay attention to this part. This would bypass our QA and security procedures and checks. Remember that Ubuntu desktop is supporting it and that you have regular bug fixes and security updates. By enabling another source of update, once people update from the website in their local user directory, the system update can override this, potentially having stalled a version that they installed. That's the reason that we are not going to publish the Ubuntu dock in the GNOME shell extensions website, and people who may want to install it install dash to dock by gaining some features and more. Once released in the Ubuntu version, only bug fixes, but no new behavior or new defaults will be allowed for the UI in fa favor of stability and 
are permitted. Now, what that means, because this is really, really important, what that means is that anyone who has used the GNOME dash to dock, and I have one, two, three, five, I have five uh, separate installations of Ubuntu, or well, GNOME, a couple of them are Entargos, and some of them are Ubuntu with GNOME, five different GNOME desktops right now, and all of them have dash to dock installed, except for my laptop does not, I think. Uh, no, it does. My laptop does. All every Ubuntu, every dock uh, I have has dash to dock installed, and that is extremely important because what it means is that if anyone would know if dash to dock wasn't working correctly, it would be me. And I'm here to tell you that dash to dock does not work correctly a lot of the time. Dash to dock has some really strange, weird behavior that happens, and it drives me nuts. The first thing that happens that, that really irritates me is when I go to full screen a window, the dash to dock does not understand where the edge of that window is, and so the dock overlaps the window just a little bit. Now, the only other option to that is to not uncheck the thing that says always on top, in which case the window completely goes over the dock and uses this intelligent hide feature. Here's the problem with that. The intelligent hide feature is not as intelligent as it probably should be. And so if I have two windows and I have one window is against the dock and I have a second window like Telegram and I click on Telegram, the intelligent dock goes, oh, well, the window that's in focus isn't anywhere near the dock. I'll just display the dock, thereby putting the dock over the window that was behind it that I was looking at. It's incredibly frustrating. Happens every single week I'm on the air here because I have my show dashboard up on my screen. And then I usually have either telegram or the chat room up and I've got, and if I, if I go into focus and either telegram or the, the, uh, the chat thing, it all of a sudden takes my dash to dock and, and throws it behind the window. It's, it's, it's unbelievably frustrating. So dash to dock is a real pain to use. And, uh, the, uh, on conversely, the Ubuntu dock that's included with unity is flawless and works perfectly, exactly how you would expect it to every single time. And I've never had an issue with it. I have heard a couple people that would like to disable it. So if the Ubuntu team plans on disabling it, I think that would be good if you have the option to tick it on or off. But as far as who, what, what the better dock is, Unity or GNOME, it's not even a comparison. I mean, Unity just blows it away. It's fantastic. And it's funny how much positive stuff is coming out about Unity now that they're getting rid of it. And I think people have really come to, have really come to grips with, there were some things that Unity really got right. And a Canonical is getting it. They are getting it. And as soon as I read this, and this is a fantastic piece. We're going to have it linked in the show notes. And I highly recommend you guys read it. It's a ripping good read. But as soon as I got done with it, I fired off Telegram messages to, I don't know, tons of people. Uh, people at Canonical, friends of mine, Chris got a couple. I, I, Everyone that would listen to me, I sent off and said, look at this article. Look what people are saying. Look what is happening. People are getting it. The people at Canonical are getting it. Because in, here's what they could have done. They could have done what a lot of people predicted. And they could have said, nobody cares about the desktop anymore. Canonical's done with the desktop. Time to be done with the desktop, everyone. We're done with the desktop. We'll just go to servers and make our money on servers. They could have done that. And if they had, there's a there's a, a, a decent portion of the Linux population that would have said, you know what? We understand. We understand why you're doing that. And they would have, you know, that would have been fine. But if that's what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing stuff like this. They wouldn't be working so hard to get a really good dock in the desktop because guess what? You don't use a dock in the server. And people who use a server, even with a GUI, couldn't care less about a dock. The reason that they're doing this is because they get it. They understand that they are, it is not, it is not a successful venture to, to do this entire desktop all by themselves out here in, in, you know, in left field. That isn't working. And at the same time, they know that there is a large group of people that have come to depend on Canonical and Ubuntu for a desktop operating system. And they know that GNOME is one of the most popular desktop available for the Linux desktop. And so they decided to implement it by default. And they also know that there are some staggering problems with GNOME. And so they are stepping up and saying, we're going to take the best things from Unity and we're going to put them into GNOME. We're going to take the exact, we're going to take and get users from the experience of Unity and build it on a 
more universal desktop that has more support cross distribution, but we are going to put enough of our own spin on it to make sure that our users feel at home here, which is exactly the right call, exactly the right call. The GNOME dash to dock is a steaming pile and the unity, the, the, the tweaks that they are making here and ensuring that when users go to update that they are all, that they are only getting the updates that won't break their system that have been thoroughly vetted and thoroughly tested and canonical can back that all says to me a company who is really concerned about the end user. And then on top of all of that, on top of all of that, the bigger picture here is that canonical is now becoming more transparent and they are going to users and they are asking for feedback and they are taking feedback and they are implementing feedback and they are doing all of these things exactly how we would expect them to. And I am not the only person that is saying this and I am not the only person that notices this. Uh, let's see here. Do I have this here? Do, 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 do. Yes. Right here in, in the comments, uh, the top comment uh, under this article is, I have been missing this level of transparency from the Ubuntu team. It's great to hear what you guys are planning and doing. Also nice to give new life to the Ubuntu desktop. This is, uh, you know, really, I think this is really fantastic. I am really, really thankful <clears throat> and huge props to the Ubuntu desktop team. You guys are doing a fantastic job. I have not been this excited for a release of Ubuntu just about ever. I don't think I've ever been this excited for a release of Ubuntu. This to me feels like we are, we are at such a critical point in the Linux desktop uh, ecosystem where so many things are coming together. So many things are going away. So many things are shifting and there is a very precise set of chess moves that have to be made in order for all of this to work out. And they say that great chess players think five moves ahead. It feels like canonicals thinking 10 moves ahead. That's what it feels like right now. It really feels like they are making exactly the right calls, making the exact right decisions to make the Linux desktop a success. And at the Ask Noah show, we are incredibly grateful. All right. I want to reserve the last couple minutes in the show for some feedback. Now you can submit feedback in a number of different ways. I, we're trying to take feedback uh, from everywhere. So Twitter at Ask Noah show, facebook.com slash Ask Noah show. Um, the contact link, which uh, links, I think, just to our email, asknoahjupiterbroadcasting.com, or if you're joining us live, live at asknoahshow.com. Any of those things, and we will try and get your feedback in. Contact form is actually probably our preferred method. Uh, off the air, calling at one 6624 is our preferred method while we're on the air. Eric writes in, and he asks, hey, Noah. After hours rollout, after hours rollout turn nightmare is keeping me from the show tonight, but I still had a question I would love to get your take on. I have an IT consulting startup that is showing amazing promise. However, I work a very demanding full-time IT job. Working the man, I also have a wonderful family. My wife and one-year-old boy, I have wanted to start my own business for the bulk of my 10-year career, and now it's starting to really happen. How do you recommend keeping a work-life balance and keeping your motivation levels high under such a demanding season of life? How do you make the most out of every waking hour? Thanks for all you do, Eric. Well, I've got a couple of uh, suggestions for you. First of all, there is an old saying, and it is, if you are penny rich, you are time poor. If you are penny poor, you are time rich. And I, I would say I have found that to be mostly true. If you want to succeed at making a lot of money, oftentimes that's going to mean uh, making a lot of sacrifices and spending a lot of time away from home. And uh, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want to provide for your family. And uh, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad thing to want to build a legacy for your family. Those are all very good things. And, um, you know, I, I have struggled with that at some point, at some level. Are my kids going to understand when they get older, you know, why dad was gone, why dad traveled, why dad wasn't here? Uh, you know, and um, I guess I'll just offer to pay for the counseling ses sessions is really what it amounts to. But um, no, I, I mean, the, you, you have to make time for the things that are important to you. And I, I saw a really interesting graphic and it was this, um, you know, line of 
conveyor belts and it was talking about school, work, family, death. And it was this idea that, you know, we go to school so that we can get a good job and, and, and work really hard so that we can then have time to enjoy with our family before we die. And, and, you know, it's the question obviously is priorities. Um, but the reality is, is that in the world we live in, we need money to do things. We need money to take your kids on trips. We need money to feed, you know, our families and stuff. And money comes from work. That's the only place you get it. Uh, and so we have to, we, you know, we have to make those sacrifices. So what I've done, practical tips, what I've done is I have created a time budget. And basically what it looks like is I list from top to bottom my most important things that I need to get done in the week to my least important things. And there, there are more, more categories than, than very specific things. So I, it's not like time budget, take my son to the park for 50 minutes. Not, it's not that, but it, it'll be something, it'll be something along the lines of spend four hours with the kids or, or, or take, uh, take my wife out on a date or something like that. And at the very beginning of the week, I plan all of my, all of the, from, from most important to least important, I plan out that time budget. And then as I'm going through and I'm actually making the schedule for that week of which clients I'm going to visit, how much time we're going to spend on each client, uh, you know, and obviously that is a whole nother different process because it's job specific and when parts are due in and how many people we have on the team that day and all that kind of stuff plays into it. But the, the, the general, the, 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 the general thing comes from this time budget. And, uh, and, and so what I do is I start at the very top of that list and the first things that get planned into the schedule are, the, the things at the very top of that list. And, uh, and what that has allowed me to do, e Eric, is I am able to look and say, I never get to the end of the week and go, oh, geez, I just didn't have enough time to go to my son's, uh, you know, uh, you know, elementary graduation thing. Uh, he had this little elementary graduation thing because he graduated kindergarten or whatever. Uh, and that was one of the first things on Sunday night when I was planning out my week that week, we were, I was going to go do that. The eclipse thing, um, when I was planning, this is a great week actually for this. So Sunday I sat down, I was going to, last night, going to figure out all of the things that I wanted to do. And halfway through my afternoon, I realized one of the things that was re really important to me was to set aside some time for my kids so that they could experience the solar eclipse. And I wrote down and said, okay, that's, you know, that is actually the most important thing I think I'm going to do this week is the solar eclipse thing. And then started looking at, oh man, this is actually going to take a lot of time to do it, to do the things I want to do and the way I wanted to do it and all that stuff. And, um, about halfway through Sunday, I started uh, sending messages to people and saying, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we talked about doing this commitment or that commitment. Um, turns out I have, uh, something else that came up. And so I'm going to be doing this instead. I'm going to, I'm not going to be available for that. Um, and, uh, did I give up work for that? Absolutely. Did I not make as much money this week as I would have? Absolutely. But you know, I think by the time I get to 70, and hopefully I'm right about this, 70 or 80, uh, first of all, I'm not going to retire broke because I took an afternoon off to hang out with my kids, day off to hang out with my kids. But second of all, I don't think I'll look back and remember that one project that I could have solved, that one problem I could have done. I do think I'll look back and remember the time that my kids and I, uh, you know, got in the car, went for a road trip and experienced their first eclipse. I think that, that, I think that memory will stick. And I think that's what counts. And I think that also, as long as you're planning that out and doing it on paper, on purpose ahead of time, I think you very rarely are ever, you're never going to run into a thing where you're like, well, man, I made it two whole weeks and uh, I haven't really worked at all. I just, uh, you know, I'm planning all my, all my, uh, my time playing with my kids and hanging out with my wife. Well, that you're not, you're not a good family man. If you do that, you're lazy. You know, so you, you have to balance the two. And, and I think the way to do that is to look at it on paper and say, if I work this many hours, if I do these many jobs, especially when you're self-employed, because it's such an ebb and flow process, you can look at it and say, is that going to be enough money to keep the lights on? Am I going to be able to buy groceries? Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to work out. It's pushing a little tight. I better, better cut back this a little bit, cut back the leisure a little bit and plan a couple more service calls in there. So we, you know, we can, we can make that vacation or we can do that thing. Budget planning. That's, that's my answer. <clears throat> James writes in, <clears throat> excuse me. James writes in and he asks, "Hi Noah, thanks for the show. I'm interested in upgrading my home network to 10 gigabit, and wondering if whether there are any issues with Linux or if there are any special considerations." No, no issues with Linux. Linux is probably one of the earliest adopters of newer network technology because Linux is such a network-centric operating system. Um, my suggestion is run Fiber because Fiber is actually ridiculously cheap, uh, and the transceivers are ridiculously cheap. And so it's, it's an incredibly effective way to future-proof your house. Um, we do a lot of structured wiring for people. 
Uh, and these days we are recommending a lot of fiber. The ISP in this area is running fiber up, to, not quite up to the door. It goes into a, a micronode and the micronode turns back into copper before it actually goes into the house. But I suspect in a couple of years they're going to run fiber into the house uh, actually. So uh, I would, if, if you're built, especially if you have a doubt torn down to the studs or if you have attic access, uh, one thing that we do for all of our home installations is we put two uh, two inch PVC pipes that go from the attic down into the basement into whatever the control point is. So that's where you have all your home automation stuff or network stuff, whatever. And what that allows you to do is at any point in time, you it's it's a very future proof uh, thing because you can actually run wires up through this conduit, whatever we call it, Smurf tube, up to into the attic, and then you can go drop down at various points wherever you need a network drop or wherever you need a uh, you know a, a you know I don't know control panel, whatever. You you can get wire anywhere in the house then that way. So, uh, yeah, there's no real special consideration, but it just it, for future proofing, I would do fiber. Will writes in and asks, do you have any suggestions for home security systems? I know you've worked on home automation. I want to find a wireless system with external monitoring that has good IT security as well. I have found one from brand video feed that has equipment that claims to be encrypted. However, I can't find any information about firmware updates or other systems. I am wondering how susceptible ha these systems are to hacking given they have constant connection to the internet through a GSM module used for communicating with the remote monitoring system. Thanks a lot, Will. Um, we install Honeywell systems. Um, I will tell you, a here's the thing that everyone misses about home automation. <clears throat> First of all, people incorrectly identify what home automation is. Home automation is not uh, putting a switch on your network and then installing an app so you can turn it on or off from your phone. That's not really, you're not really automating anything. Uh, similarly, uh, tying it to a service that automates it based on things that's not really automating. It's more of you signed up for a subscription service. It's, that's like saying I signed up for DirecTV and they automatically play, uh, you know, Breaking Bad at six o'clock at night. Well, it's not really. It's just that's a subscription service and you they 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 push content to you. It's the same thing if you're using like If Then or That or whatever. Um, to 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 me to UltaSpeed, home automation is where we install something in your home and it becomes a part of your home. And the, the systems that are in my home will be there 10 years from now, long after these things have become, you know, these newer things that have come out have been outdated and you can't use them anymore. They've had to upgrade. And what that will lead to ultimately is that a lot of these things, it's kind of X10 was the start of it. They turn into bad science projects. And so I see a lot of those new like fad type home security systems where you have double-sided tape stuff. To me, that's all fad. That's not, it's not the proper way to install a security system. So we install Honeywell systems and they take a little bit of work and you're going to have to spend some time to learn the system, but it all operates through closed contacts. And the advantage of that is once the wiring is there, you can easily swap out a Honeywell system for DSC or whatever. And we used to install DSC when we went to Honeywell, we started upgrading all of the equipment. We used all the same wiring because it's, it's all built for interoperability. And the nice thing about Honeywell is you're not really worried about people hacking it because it's all closed circuit. The keypads are literally eight conductor wires that run, or six, I can't remember, run back to the controller. And then each zone, quote unquote, is just a, a set of contacts that opens or closes. And uh, you, they have, like the newer Honeywell control modules actually have things like Wi-Fi and stuff like that. And you can tie into them. They're very well maintained, very well updated. Um, they have the ability to tie into your smartphone and apps. And I can do all of the things that you can do on the fancy little drop cam, you know, stuff like that. The difference is it's an actual home security system that's actually designed for professional use. And if you take a little bit of time to actually learn how to use the system, how to install it properly, you'll also find that it can tie into just about anything. So we've tied it into our access control system. So when I swipe my key fob, as long as a valid key fob is presented at the door, it not only unlocks the door, but it disarms the security system and disables the recording on the interior of the house, all that kind of stuff. To me, that is true automation. And it doesn't rely on a company. It doesn't rely on a service. It just relies on that equipment still being installed at the on-premise. On and because it's built with interoperability in mind, I can swap out any one of those vendors at any time without having to worry well, is this going to tie into that thing? And will that still talk to that? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. As long as you're using a brand name vendor that's designed to do, to make, you know, in Honeywell's case, I think they make the best home security systems known to man. Uh, and I've, we've installed them all pretty much. Uh, I think Honeywell does the best. As far as what to monitor, there's a company called Alarm Relay. AlarmRelay.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. And they will do monitoring for 10 bucks a month. 
They can tie into every system we've ever installed. They do DSC, they've done Honeywell, uh, all of them. Um, and you just, you call them, you plug, you you can use a GSM module or you can plug a phone, regular phone line in, or if you're using, we use SIP, so we use a little ATA and they can just dial in, they'll do all the programming and stuff for that for you. 10 bucks a month, really, really cheap. That's all the time we have. Thanks a lot for joining us. A huge thanks to Sarah, our call screener, Ben, our producer, and Rakai, our video editor. We'll hand you off to Crosspoint coming up next on Logos Radio, KEQQ 88.3, OPFM, Grand Forks.